everybody, and happy March. Uh, I'm recording this episode on March 1st. Just uh, flip the page on the calendar, so um, hopefully it'll be spring soon. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Abnormal Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colby Taylor. Um, I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of Tennessee. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm a faculty member at Christian Brothers University. And today's episode is a mailbag request. Uh, so the mailbag email said, Hi, Dr. Taylor. I'm a new LSW, which stands for Ni Licensed Social Worker, and I listen to your podcast a lot to help me get oriented to the field. I was wondering if you could do an episode about assessing for school shooters and how those of us in the field can go about protecting ourselves from people who want to come after mental health therapists for not preventing the school shooting. Thank you so much for the podcast. It's been so helpful and amazing. Signed, Cynthia. So today's episode is going to get into the topic of threat assessment. You might see threat assessment called behavioral threat assessment and management, which sort of acronyms to BTAM, behavioral threat assessment and management. Uh, you might also hear it called risk assessment. Um, threat assessment and risk assessment are basically the same thing. Uh, and as Cynthia sort of alluded to in her mailbag request, threat assessment is a thankless job. You never get thanked for the, uh, the threats you mitigate. And you end up on the news and you end up being very heavily criticized for any threat that materializes. A vast majority of threats don't pan out. With threat assessment, you probably want to err on the side of more sensitivity, which would be greater ability to detect any possible threat so that none slip through the cracks, than specificity. With threat assessment, you'll probably have a lot of false positives. So people you think might be school shooters, in this case, who aren't actually school shooters, um, but a false negative, so someone who should be on your radar to commit one of these atrocities, but for whatever reason slips through the cracks and isn't identified, can be catastrophic. So threat assessment is high risk, low reward, and it's often a thankless job. Um, I went to a continuing ed seminar a few years ago, uh, pre-pandemic, led by Dr. Ken Strong and Dr. David Wilkins, who do threat assessment with Shelby County Schools, which is here in Memphis. And I learned a lot, uh, but I definitely wouldn't want their jobs. Uh, and since we're talking about threat assessment in schools, I'm going to put in a plug for the Professional Organization for School Psychologists, NASP, the National Association of School Psychologists. Um, check out my episode from last season on school psychology. If you're interested in learning more about what school psychology is and how you might be able to uh, pursue a career in the field. Um, as I'm recording this episode, NASP just wrapped up their annual conference in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, anyways, on their NASP website, they have a brief facts and tips section on threat assessment at schools, which is based on the work of Cornell and Sheris. And here are a few um, things that I sort of gleaned from the facts and tips sheet. So the goal of threat assessment is to determine whether a student poses a threat of violence. And violence here, we're thinking about intent to physically or sexually harm somebody. Um, sometimes these threats can be transient, which means that they're sort of short-lived. You know, they might be impulsive threats of anger, or something we might think of with like intermittent explosive disorder. Or they could be more long-lived. They could be more in the sort of character or personality of the threat. Um, all school districts, all schools should have a threat assessment team. Ideally, this threat assessment team will be multidisciplinary in nature, meaning there'll be mental health professionals that are on there, school administrators, school resource officers. Um, I've participated in a few threat assessment teams. 
Um, and we even have them at the college and university level. Uh, and these threat assessment teams, they usually meet weekly or every two weeks. Uh, they talk about um, different threats to the school. They follow up on previous threats, talk about appropriate response and intervention. Um, this NASP tips and fact sheet says that there's no profile of a student that will cause harm. Um, there's no easy formula or profile of risk factors that accurately determines whether a student is going to commit a violent act. The use of profiling increases the likelihood of misidentifying students who are thought to pose a threat. I'll come back to that one in a little bit. Um, most students who pose a substantive threat indicate their intentions in some way. So we'll talk about this in a little bit. Uh, and it's important to act quickly if you're concerned about a threat. Um, so this tip sheet says there's no profile of a student who will cause harm. But I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. Uh, certainly any student is capable of doing harm in a school setting, but there are definite risk factors and trends we see among school shooters. And we can get a picture of these trends from, surprisingly, the Secret Service, so they don't just protect the president. Uh, the U.S. Secret Service operates the National Threat Assessment Center, the NTAC, National Threat Assessment Center. And this used to be called the Safe School Initiative, the SSI, but in the early 2000s, I think they reorganized and it became the National Threat Assessment Center. Anyways, last year in 2021, the NTAC published a report titled Averting Targeted School Violence, a U.S. Secret Service Analysis of Plots Against Schools. This report looks at 67 disrupted plots in the schools from 2006, when I graduated high school, all the way up to 2018. And you can access this report online, um, but here are some things that I sort of gleaned from it. Um, first, Cynthia, in her mailbag request, referred to, quote, school shooters. And when I heard this request, my brain started going, well, what about school stabbings or other forms of fatal school violence? Uh, but Cynthia was right to ask about school shootings, because according to the NTAC, 96% of plots they disrupted involved firearms. Uh, and it was only about 10% of plots or so that involved bladed weapons, of which knives would be included, I guess. Um, again, I'm not a huge fan of saying there's no profile of these events. I'm sort of a behaviorist. You might not have known that about me through my previous podcast, but I'm definitely sort of a behaviorist. And school shootings don't just occur in a vacuum. They aren't just spontaneous. There are antecedents. Um, there's risk factors. Uh, context is hugely important. Um, there are what we call setting events. So using this NTAC report, let's build a profile of the typical school shooting. And I'll sort of start off with the most likely profile traits first. An overwhelming majority of school threats are male. 95% of school threat events are committed by males. So having a Y chromosome is probably the biggest risk factor for school violence. Secondly, most school shootings occur in high schools. 85% of school shootings occur in high school. Only 1% of school threats in this report occurred in elementary school. We did have a school shooting in Memphis uh, at an elementary school here a few months ago, um, but this was a K through eight school uh, and it was committed by a 13 year old. So technically it occurred in an elementary school, but it was perpetrated by a middle schooler. Also, and this might come as a surprise to people, 84% of threats in this report communicated their intent to attack beforehand. Now let's keep in mind that this report focuses only on disrupted plots. So the disruptions may have occurred in part due to this communication. 
We might find a lower percentage among completed plots. But still, this is a super high percentage. Again, these events don't just occur spontaneously. They don't just occur in a vacuum. There are red flags. And sort of side note on red flags, I don't completely understand the whole red flag caption thing on social media. Um, I'm just going to start putting a red flag emoji on like all of my social media posts and see what happens. <laughs> okay, so if we're building a profile of a school shooter, if we turn on the news and it says there's been an incident of school violence, there are four things statistically so far that are likely. We see that headline, school violence. Um, we can probably safely assume that one, it's been committed using a firearm. Two, the perpetrator is a male. Three, it's in a high school. And four, there was some sort of red flag. There was some sort of intent to harm communication beforehand. Now let's get into the profile areas that have less certainty surrounding them. Um, happy kids with no problems or no conflict don't commit school shootings. Uh, there's always some sort of precipitating event. In about half of cases, in 45% of cases actually, school shootings are to settle a score. They're related to grievances. 21% of threats in the NTAC report were in response to bullying. And we know like in Columbine, bullying was rampant. Bullying was especially rampant in the cafeteria, where there were reportedly some humiliating incidents involving food and bullying in the weeks leading up to the attack. So it's probably no surprise that the cafeteria was a target for Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Um, they left a bomb in the cafeteria that thankfully didn't explode during the attack. Bombs, um, explosives, by the way, are planned in just about half of school threat incidents. Also, the school cafeteria seems to be a hot zone for these types of events. Um, it was the most targeted place on campus outside of the classroom in the NTAC report. Um, the school cafeteria was targeted in 10 of the 67 incidents. So a lot of threats occur due to grievances, of which bullying is a part. Another common grievance is related to romantic relationships. 24% of school threats relate to romantic relationships. And from my own experiences in working in the schools, and really in life in general, no one is great at handling romantic rejection. But high schoolers are really not great at handling romantic rejection, and high school males are especially not good at handling romantic rejection. Um, these peer grievances, though, these are important. They're one of the reasons that most of the thwarted threats in the NTAC report were due to information provided by the friends or uh, peer groups of the threats. Um, mental health concerns are also present in a lot of these school threats. Uh, and this is just another reason it's so important to have adequate mental health staffing in the schools. In the NTAC report, 70% of school threats had mental health concerns. Of those, 40% had depression and 44% had suicidal ideation. Um, and in the NTAC report, in the planned threat, 13% of the threats planned on killing themselves in the attempt. So stepping away from the NTAC report for a bit, the work of Peter Langman gives us a little more detail into the psychopathological profile of school shooters. Some warning signs are depression, but especially depression co-occurring with uh, aggressive tendencies. Um, having narcissistic tendencies, lacking empathy, being cold and callous and unemotional, um, and also building yourself into a sort of hero narrative. 
through perpetrating the threat, um, these school shooters somehow make themselves out to be the good guy. And this sort of plays into the notion that school shooters might not actually suffer from low self-esteem, which was thought in the wake of Columbine. Uh, they might actually have higher than average self-esteem, which at times could border on this sort of hero or godlike delusion. We know having a trauma history is also a risk factor. We know people with a significant number of ACEs, of course, ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, are more likely to be involved in mass casualty incidents. Um, a lot have suffered physical, emotional, or sexual abuse at home. Many have experienced parental loss, uh, parental loss through death, through divorce, or through incarceration. Uh, and you might be surprised that almost none of the threats in the NTAC report were psychotic. Um, it was only about 1% were psychotic. Uh, we also see low single-digit percentages for threats espousing white supremacy or anti-female ideologies. And you might also wonder about whether school shooters are more likely to be white. Um, about half of school shooters are white, but that's a little less than the actual percentage of white people in the United States, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. So there's really not a racial profile we can draw. Um, ideally, I guess, I would have recorded this podcast in April. Um, school shootings are disproportionately more likely to occur on anniversaries of other mass casualty events, and especially the anniversary of Columbine, which was on April 20th. Uh, April 20th was also the anniversary of Adolf Hitler's uh, birthday. So there are definitely like significant dates that are hot points um, for school shootings. Uh, and almost a quarter of the NTAC report threats occurred in April. Um, so that's sort of it for what I wanted to cover on threat assessment. Again, it's a thankless job, uh, but it's a super important job. Um, and I'm really glad there are people out there that identify and mitigate these threats. Uh, let's go to the mailbag, and we have an email from Joy. Uh, Joy says, hi, I'm a psychology student over in New York, and I've been listening to your podcast at work on Spotify. I spent a lot of time looking for podcasts um, that hold my interest and that are credible, because there are a lot of podcasts which is just some guy spreading harmful misconceptions about mental health. Yeah, Joy, I hate that. <laughs> um, uh, I haven't got uh, anything valuable to say. No, this is super valuable. Um, so I'm sorry. Uh, no need to apologize. I'm loving this. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that during the last few weeks of my semester, and while I'm picking up extra shifts at work, you provided a super bright spot for me. Um, I hope you and your family are having an easy time, Dr. Taylor. Um, and I really appreciate this, uh, this email, Joy. Um, I started this podcast actually uh, during the pandemic because a lot of my students had service industry jobs, and it was really difficult for them to sort of pull up narrated PowerPoints um, while they're working, uh, you know, with a PowerPoint, you really sort of need a tablet computer. Um, a lot of them were big file sizes. And so I decided to do the podcast uh, because they could just sort of plug in their earbuds. And uh, while they're working, they, you know, they don't need to look at anything. And uh, while you're, you know, on the job or while you're working out, hopefully you, you pop in your earbuds and uh, maybe knock out a lecture uh, in 20 minutes or so. So I really appreciate uh, your email, Joy. And I'm glad people are finding this podcast useful. Again, I'm sort of doing this on my own dime, um, so it's a labor of love. Uh, feel free to send mailbag stuff, and I don't mind if it's critical, uh, to ctaylo41 at cbu.edu. Um, send me some episode requests, too. So with that, I'm going to call it an episode. Until the next time, take care and stay well.